Welcome to FPC Meridian Sermon Podcast. In this sermon, our head pastor, Dr. Rhett Payne, studies the book of Romans. We pray that God's hand would be upon you as you listen to the faithful preaching of his word. Let's begin. This is part six in the series, and the title of today's message is Justification by Faith. I'll be reading from Romans chapter three. I'll start at verse nine. My sources include R.C. Sproul, not once but twice. Uh, the Righteous Shall Live by Faith, his commentary on Romans, then a book that he wrote just on faith alone, entitled Faith Alone, and really about justification by faith. Ken Hughes' commentary on Romans from Preaching the Word, John R.W. Stott, The Message of Romans from the Bible Speaks Today, and Stuart Aliot, The Gospel as It Really Is, from the Wellwind Commentary Series. So stand with me, please, for the reading of God's Holy Word as we look at Romans chapter 3, starting at verse... Nine And the title in my Bible, I don't know if in your Bible, it says, No one is righteous. Verse 9, this is the Word of God. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Talking about the Jewish people. Do the Jewish people have any advantage? Not at all. For we've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced, and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, through the law, think about the Ten Commandments. That's not the whole law, but that's a, a good representation of it. We become conscious of our sin by knowing what not to do through the law. Verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, there is no difference between the Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this, your word, and we thank you for the hope that we have because of this gospel. So open our eyes, Lord, open our ears, open our hearts, that we might hear this message, this good news that is ours for the taking by faith. Give us grace today, Lord, as you are with us. Teach this message to us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. 
In Reader's Digest, the late boxing champion Muhammad Ali once said this, One day, we're all going to die, and God is going to judge us, our good deeds, and our bad deeds. If the bad outweighs the good, you go to hell. If the good outweighs the bad, you go to heaven. What do you think of that? I mean, how, how different is that view from the gospel? Muhammad Ali, who converted to uh, Islam. Um, yeah, that, that's, that makes sense in terms of what Muslims believe. So, I, that's what I thought growing up. It really was what I thought. Okay, got to have enough good on the, on the good side to tip the balance, tip the scales... So that I can get in to heaven. And that's not biblical teaching. The comedian Kathy Ladman expresses a view that's becoming more and more common. Here's what she says. All religions are the same. Religion is basically guilt with different holidays. I mean, ain't it great that Christianity is not a religion? Because that is so, so different from the gospel. And you may be one that's sitting there today thinking, well, what do I do with this guilt? I've got this incredible guilt. What am I supposed to do with it? The gospel tells us what you're to do with it. There's so many mistaken notions of what it means to be a Christian. And a lot of those mistaken notions revolve around our misunderstanding of Holy Scripture. In fact, it's been my experience through the years that those who have a mistaken notion about Christianity have never read the Bible. And that's why we study the Bible. That's why we take the time to start this message with reading God's word, because it really doesn't matter what I say. What, what matters is what God has to say about the issue of our hope of a life after this life. And so let's look at two lessons today. Two lessons. First being the disaster... The disaster that is our sin. The disaster that is our sin. And, and you can see it in verse 9, the very first verse that I read. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under, all of us are under the power of sin. And then you skip down to verse 23. Is that memorable verse, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. Every one of us have sinned. All of us fall short of the glory of God. We, we, like you're trying to shoot a, a, an arrow at a, a target and the arrow keeps falling short. We can never make the grade. We, can, we always miss the mark. We fall short of the glory of God. And when I talk about sin, you might think, I don't know why Red has to address this. We, we know all about sin. We get it. Do you? Do you really get it? I mean, does everybody in this room really get the fact of what a disaster our lives is because of sin? The depth of our depravity. We are radically corrupted, totally depraved. And our text, which is called a karaz, Paul's karaz, is, is stringing together a number of short Old Testament quotations uh, to utilize, to drive home his point. He quotes one passage from Ecclesiastes. He, quote, he quotes five from the Psalms, and he quotes one from Isaiah, 
All of which bear witness to the fact that we inherited a disaster when we were conceived. King David said, in sin, my mother conceived me. And so think about what that really means. I mean, think about right now what you inherited from your parents. You know, I've, I've had people tell me, well, yeah, I got my skinny legs from my, from my dad. Or I got my big teeth from my mom. Or I got my big nose from my grandfather. You know, you know we got all these things we talk about. And there are lots of people that will say, I got the short end of the stick. Or I came out of the shallow end of the gene pool. I mean, we, we say all those things. Well, guess what? We all inherited bad genes from our first parents. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, gave us this power of sin, this guilt, this declaration of, of deadness toward God. R.C. Sproul liked to say there's a pound of flesh in everything that we do. What do you mean by that? He meant even our most pure motives are really not pure. You know, we'd like to think our motives are pure when we do something kind or something nice. But you know what? Even that is questionable because really and truly there's never been a time when our motives are completely pure. There's never been a time in our entire lives when we have loved God with our whole heart, mind, soul and strength. And that is the first and greatest commandment. Philippians 2 tells us another story. So take your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians in the back of the New Testament. Philippians 2, verse 21. One verse. What does it say? For everyone looks out for their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. And I think that's a very true statement. In other words, sin has affected every part of our human constitution. Why else would Paul take great pains to list the different parts of the body? Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. Their lips spread poison like snakes. Their mouths are filled with bitter, bitter curses. Their feet are swift in the pursuit of violence. Their eyes are looking in the wrong direction. I mean, it's really kind of a, a strong indictment on us, isn't it? He says, basically, there's no good inside of them. And who are the them? Unbelievers. Unbelievers. Unbelievers do not pursue the things of God. Now, there may be a person that says, I, I'm, I'm interested in God. And I wonder, well, if that person's interested in God, then God has been working on that person. Because according to this scripture, no one really will pursue God on their own. They just won't. Because they're dead towards God. They have no desire for God. So God is the one who has to create that desire. So no one prompted by their own desire, acting on their own ability, wants to pursue God. No one. God has to stir that within them. Reminds me of the story that Jesus had in this encounter with the rich young ruler. You remember that? The rich young ruler came to Jesus and he asked this question. Good teacher. He called him good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, his response was not, well, make a decision or come and follow me. 
Actually, Jesus answered his question with what? A question. With a question. And what was the question? Why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? Jesus is simply testing this young man. He knew the young ruler had no idea who he was. And so instead of answering the question or waiting for an answer from the young man, he answered the question himself and says, no one is good. That is God, except God. But if you want to enter life, what did Jesus say? Keep the commandments. And so then he listed the commandments, some of them. He listed number six, number seven, number eight, number nine, number five, and then the number one that I mentioned a moment ago. So he said, you shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not lie, you should honor your father and mother, and you should love the Lord your God with all your heart. And what did the young man say in response to that? All these I have kept since I was a youth. And Jesus could have said at that point, well, well, that's incredible because I've never seen anybody be able to do that. So you're the first. He could have said that, but he didn't. He basically said, tell you what, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and then you will have riches in heaven. And what happened then? Well, the conversation was over. The young man walked away. Why? Because he was wealthy. He had great wealth. And so that was really the end of the conversation. And he walked away sad, it says in Scripture. He walked away sad. And really the saddest thing to me about that encounter is that Jesus met a young man who really and truly thought he was good. That he'd done all that needs to be done. He thought he was doing just fine on his own, but he wasn't. Pastor Tim Keller paraphrases an analogy originally used by C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, to demonstrate how powerful the nature of sin is in our hearts. He says, if you want to know, if you want to know if there are rats in your basement, there's a way to check it out. There's a way not to check it out. So C.S. Lewis says, if you want to know there are rats in your basement, you don't walk up to the door of your basement and clear your throat and then jiggle the handle of the door and then open the door and announce, I think I'll go downstairs and check to see if there are rats in my basement. You don't do that. And then walk very loudly down the stairs and, well, look at this. There are no rats in my basement. How do you check out, according to C.S. Lewis, how do you check out and see if there are rats in your basement? Well, you very quietly walk up to the door, you turn the knob very slowly, open the door, and then you jump all the way down as you flip on the lights, and then you'll see if you have rats in your basement. And his point is, he wrote this, the excuse... For most of my sinful moments that immediately spring to my mind is that the provocation was so sudden and unexpected, I was caught off guard like a rat who didn't get enough warning. On the other hand, surely, he says, what a man does when he has taken off his guard is the best evidence for what sort of man he is. 
He says, surely what pops out before the man has time to put on a disguise is the truth about that man. It's pretty good, isn't it? So our sinful nature leaves us with a disaster. And according to scripture, we have no hope in ourselves apart from the mercy of God. We're that bad. We're not as bad as we could be, but we are pretty bad. We're depraved. We're totally depraved, according to the theological term. And so that's the first lesson. Here's the second lesson. The miracle that is our justification. You know, we're singing that first hymn about being redeemed. How happy I am in Jesus. And I sure hope that you are happy in Jesus. Because I'm going to tell you what. There is no better news that any religion has to offer. I mean, every religion is bottom up. What do I mean by that? It's us trying to get to God. It's us trying to do what we can do to get to heaven. It's bottom up. Christianity is top down. It's God coming to us in the person of Jesus Christ, offering us the hope of eternal life that we could never we could never accomplish for ourselves. So we come to that section of our text that is pivotal, and I hope that you have your Bible still open, because Romans 3, 21 through 26, are six tightly packed verses that Dr. Leon Morris suggests are, quote, possibly the most important single paragraph ever written. The key expression in this paragraph is the righteousness of God, which we looked at several weeks ago in our study of Romans 1, 16 and 17. A couple of weeks ago, when we talked about the final judgment, we talked about that day when we will all be called into account and all of us will stand before God. We will face the just judgment of a holy God, our holy God. In other words, we won't be able to say to God on that day, wait a minute, you got that wrong. Because he will get it right. So turn with me to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, chapter 17, verses 30 and 31. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising that man from the dead. So Jesus is coming again and he will be our judge. So here's our problem. There will be this judgment before God. It will be a righteous judgment In other words, there's no hearsay, there's no potential errors in judgment. And since you and I are fallen creatures, and since you and I, we we have this fallen nature, we sin repeatedly, we are not and have no chance of being in ourselves righteous. That's why justification by faith is such a miracle. And so I hope that you understand this as we study this today, and I hope that you remember it to the point where you think about this and chew on this. And chew on the fact of how great our salvation is. And so I've got several other points to go over. And the first is the source of our justification, God and his grace. 
the source of our justification, God and his grace. So back in our text, look at verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are freely justified by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Who takes the initiative in your becoming a Christian? God does. Top down. God is the seeker. You are the runner. God seeks after you. He's the one that goes and finds you, brings you back home. He's the one who takes the initiative. There is no one that seeks after God, according to our text. So the answer is obviously that God is a gracious God and seeks after us. Ephesians 2 verse 8. Ephesians 2 verse 8. If you turn a little bit later in the New Testament. The letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 8. It's a beautiful verse. For it is by grace. What is grace? Undeserved kindness. God doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. We couldn't do anything about our situation on our own. We wouldn't. Be able to because of our sinful nature blinding us to the truth of Scripture. We're guilty before God because of our sin. I mean, if you only commit one sin, if you could be that perfect to only commit one sin, one sin would be enough. So you're guilty before God and you're condemned before God. So that leaves us in a helpless state. It leaves us in a hopeless state. So God in his grace, meaning undeserved kindness, takes this initiative, comes to our rescue in and through Jesus Christ. All right, we're in Romans 3, but I want you to skip ahead to Romans 8. Turn just a few pages if you still have Romans 3. Turn a few pages past that to Romans 8 verse 1. And let me read to you one verse that is so incredibly great news that you need to embrace this. If you're a Christian today, you need to embrace this to deal with the fact of your guilt. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. What does that mean? No judgment. There's no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's not just unbelievers who deal with guilt. In fact, a lot of times it's more the Christian who deals with guilt. And God in his word says you need to bring it to the cross. Whatever it is that plagues your mind and heart, that beats you down and embrace the forgiveness of God. It's such a wonderful thing. Our gracious God is offering us this gift of forgiveness Because of what his son did. And that leads us to the second point, which is the ground of our justification. We got the source of our justification. That's God and his grace. Second, the ground of our justification, Christ and his cross, Christ and his cross. If God justifies sinners freely by his grace, on what ground does he do that? How is it possible for the righteous God to declare the unrighteous to be righteous without compromising his righteousness or condoning our unrighteousness? God answers that in the cross of Christ. Look at verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement 
through the shedding of his blood, through the shedding of his blood, which reminds us that there is no such thing as cheap grace. It cost God dearly. So do not think that because of what Jesus did on the cross that God just freely forgives us of our sin because he's such a loving God that he's not bothered by the fact that we have violated everything that is holy in his sight. If you think that, you're missing it. God cannot overlook his holiness in order to save us, which is why Jesus Christ had to die on that cross. Christ had to die because according to God's word, satisfaction had to be made. Now, there's a term in Romans 3 that can be translated a lot of different ways. Look at verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. You know, there's, there's different ways that word can be translated. And sometimes it comes in, in a different version in the word propitiation. Propitiation. And sometimes it comes out in a word called expiation. Okay, so let's talk for a moment about those two words. Propitiation had to be made for your sin to be covered. Propitiation means to appease. And who's being appeased? God. God in his wrath. God is being appeased by the death of Jesus Christ. And so let's take the word apart. Propitiation. Pro means for. Propitiation, the death of Jesus, changes the way God sees you. He is now for you. And not against you. What a big difference. And then expiation, take that beginning point. X means out of. And so what happens there? God is removing from us, taking away from us our sin. As far as the east is is from the west, according to Psalm 103. So that's why we study words like propitiation and expiation. Because they tell us a different story. Through the death of Jesus, God has removed our sin from us. It's no longer a part of us anymore. So that means you can be free of that sin and guilt. So the source is God and his grace. The the ground is Christ and his cross and what Jesus did on the cross. But the third and most important thing is the means of our justification. That third point is the means of our justification, which is faith alone in Christ alone. Faith alone. In other words, the death of Christ does not mean we're all going to heaven. You must appropriate what Christ did. And so Romans 3, look at verse 22. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And skipping to verse 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. By faith. And you know what? The beautiful thing is faith, even faith, is a gift of God. You don't have to drum up faith. God gives you that faith to trust him. But I love what Hebrews says about faith in Hebrews 11, verse one. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And then skipping to verse six, without faith, it is impossible to please God for anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So to be justified before God is to be declared innocent in the sight of God. And you need to know there's a lot of difference between being declared righteous 
and being made righteous. In the Roman Catholic view, God will never pronounce a person righteous until by the help of God's grace in Christ himself, that person actually becomes righteous. Faith, though, is the means in the sense that to be justified by faith is not to be justified because we have faith. Faith is the means by which we embrace Jesus Christ, which in turn leads to God bestowing his righteousness upon us. He declares us righteous through the death of Christ, not because we're actually righteous in ourselves. We have what uh, theologians call an alien righteousness that does not come from us because we are sinners and saints at the same time. We're a walking contradiction. I'm a walking contradiction. You're a walking contradiction if you're a Christian because God declares you righteous through the righteousness of Christ and through the shed blood of Christ. But you're not really righteous. Jesus is the righteous one. You're receiving the righteousness that he has earned for you. I have received the righteousness that is not mine. It's been given to me by Christ, by faith. So it's really a double switch that we're talking about here. Our sins, our sins are placed upon Christ and his righteousness is imputed or credited to my account, to your account, if Christ is in you. And so that's the question of the day. Is Christ your Savior and Lord? If so, his sin, our sin has been placed upon Christ. His righteousness has been declared ours through faith in Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, receive Jesus Christ, the Lord, receive his forgiveness of your sins by faith. Trust him for the righteousness that you could never have in yourself so that when you stand before God, you can stand before God, not on your own righteousness, but stand before him saying, I stand here only by the mercy of God in Christ, my savior, who shed his blood that I might live. He is my only hope. He is my source. And my strength. And that brings us to our verse of the week, which is Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. A long verse. Let's read a long few verses. Let's read it out loud together. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for saving us. We can't save ourselves. Thank you for doing all that was necessary that we would be saved. And I pray for anyone in this place who is not right with you today, Lord. May they not wait until the judgment. May they come to you in faith, repenting of their sins, asking you to cleanse them of their sins. And may they embrace the righteousness that is by faith. The righteousness that is not theirs, but yours, Lord. And so we thank you that we stand in that righteousness. Glory in the cross. We glory in the cross because of all that you've done for us, Lord. We don't deserve it. 
It's not anything that we've done. We glory in you. Way to go. Lord, we want to be with you. And so we thank you for the way that you've made clear through your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray all this in his name. Amen.